Good morning for the 9th of January, 2024. Yesterday was a rather eventful day in the church. By now you <clears throat> had to have heard what the news was. It was all over social media. People were talking about it away from the internet. If you are not familiar with what happened, um, some lay investigators had uh, took note of something that Cardinal Fernandez said many, many months ago when he first hit the art became came to our attention back in the summer when he was announced to be or last spring, even when he was announced to be Francis's choice to replace Cardinal Ladaria as the prefect for the now dicastery, formerly congregation for the doctrine of the faith, an organization whose job it is, is to protect the integrity of the faith, both by defending the theological integrity of the faith, the moral teachings that come from said theological integrity, as well as to protect the, it's also the same office that investigates Ted McCarrick kind of priests. And, I would hope that I don't need to explain how those two things are linked, but his job is to do that. And when he was made prefect, when he was even announced before he was even made prefect, a book of inappropriate poetry that he had written came to light. And when that caused a big hubbub internationally, mostly online, he said that, oh yeah, well, I wrote worse. So that perked up the ears of some people, especially uh, lay investigators in Argentina, who started going around trying to find a copy of whatever it was that he wrote was worse. And they found it. Um, I was made privy of the story before it broke yesterday. I had received overnight an email from a, or a message from a priest that I trust who warned me about the stuff. But then he also said, I probably can't read the documents as they, such as they are in my podcast live, which is true. I can't. And I can't, as I go over the story, I'm going to try to be as careful when I talk about this as possible. And it's not because of YouTube, merely because of YouTube. I mean, our hosts, for once, are on the right side of things. They try to actually prevent impurity from being dominating their platform, and they're not perfect at it. But at least they try, and they have rules about that, and I will abide by them, clearly. But it's not only for that reason. There was a priest who I remember receivers, I spent a lot of time on Twitter yesterday, going over these stories as people were posting translations and things. And there's a priest on there who responded saying he thought it was amazing that he, that Catholics thought they could read this stuff without needing to go to confession. And so therein lies the problem. As my disclaimer, I will have links so you can, if you think you can read it, read these things for yourself. I skimmed them and stopped reading as soon as I could. The, it gets really bad. Um, the priest who I had been in com communication with, <laughs> he uh, notoriously, because he had been in communication with some others, uh, when he was reading this, uh, some of this material, he got into the, to the chapter I'm going to focus on just a few paragraphs in before he stopped reading it and destroyed his copies. This is a big story that's not being taken with the gravity that it needs to be taken with. You see, you've seen the Pope's planners come out and say just remarkable things in defense of everything we're seeing here. Patty Day says it's too early. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I tend to go live about an hour earlier because I have other things I have to do very early in the morning. It's just the reality of the nature of things. David Wilson says you can't defend the indefensible. This is true. And good morning to everybody in the chat. I've seen a lot of Australia in here uh, due to the more recent stories. And as an update, I have inside information from sources that I'm waiting to be given permission to talk about because I don't want to cause anybody trouble there. We'll be getting back to that Australia story soon. 
but yes, good morning, good morning to everybody. And we're going to be using due diligence when talking about this. And it's not just because of the rules our hosts have, but because I don't want to end up in a confessional having to explain to a priest that I did read aloud things that I should not be reading on YouTube causing international problems and then having to come back here and make a public apology after making a good confession. I would rather not have to do that. Okay. And frankly, there are people who have been doing, who have been coming right up to that line. And I don't know what that line is per se for in general, but I know what it is for me. So you've heard the news though. So Cardinal Fernandez, again, the man whose job it is to both protect the integrity of the faith and morals, as well as to protect the church from Ted McCarrick kinds of priests, wrote a book whose contents are so just gross that no commentator has been able to just read to you verbatim what the contents were without having to send themselves a confession and necessitating a public apology later. Put an asterisk next to that statement, though, because I have not watched Tim Gordon's report on this, and I have not watched Taylor Marshall's report on this. I generally try not to watch other commentators, what they have to say on such things if I'm going to talk about the same thing, at least until after I've done it. So when I'm running my errands very early this morning, I will be listening to some of what they have to say. But I want everything I have to say to be original. So I don't know if they've read verbatim. I kind of suspect that they haven't, they, that they chose whatever boundary they set for themselves to go up to and to describe what's here, but to make it clear. But Cardinal Fernandez's book is frankly more befitting of late night HBO or Cinemax. For those of you in America who are aware of the kind of trash those cable networks at least used to feature prominently late night, then they are befitting of a theologian in service to the church and to the alleged current pontiff. There are chapters that some people are talking about, uh, mostly chapters 7, 8, and 9. They reek of a blend of Eastern mysticism and, frankly, the what the devotees of Satan have to say and their views on um, activity suitable to the married state and the kind of spiritual experiences you have engaging in that stuff. Then it has to do with anything to do with Catholicism. The idea of a spiritual side of the marital act in the detail that Cardinal Fernandez describes in his book. We'll call it the, um, the apex of the act in question, if you will. He says it brings people closer to God. And that reeks of mysticism, not of the Catholic kind, but it also reeks of the same stuff that devotees of Satan talk about. And there are Catholic podcasters out there off YouTube who are going into very great detail about that. If you would like, I can include links to some of what they have to say in my show notes today at returntotradition.org. All of my links for everything will be there. Read any of them or listen to any of them with due prudence. The one that I think you can do without having to run into too many problems is the Catholic News Agency article on this. However, there's a big problem with that, and we'll get to that in a bit. But it will all be linked in today's show notes at returntotradition.org. There is, frankly, a, a through line of like the devotees of Satan and their ideas in this, in this book, this idea that he's pushing here. It's really remarkable. Because as the biggest proponents of that evil idea have extolled the same idea, claiming the act is virtuous in and of itself, and that it unlocks special power, it unlocks special insight into the divine. Here's an overview of the book itself from Info Vaticana. So um, I'll only bring up that Info Vaticana article for you because the it's... It is, again, one of these kinds of things that you really should... We, we, we need to talk about at least a little bit. So they basically, they, they their headline for this is a hidden book by Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez comes to light, mystical passion, spirituality, and the rest. And here he says, quote, 
In the first part of the book, Victor Manuel Fernandez, back when he was a priest, writes stories on the private or in physical experiences of saints and mystics. Pause there. Why is he bringing stuff the saints allegedly did to light? And I say allegedly because a lot of this stuff is historical revisionism at best. He says about Angela Hedwick, she relates, quote, that her experience is not only spiritual, but also physical, corporeal. Her mystical joy had all the characteristics of the apex of the marital act. The mystical Hedwick of Antwerp describes without any shame the eminently physically enticing way in which she experienced her union with the Lord. End quote. That is a quote from his book. All right. To give you an idea of what we're dealing with here, we're dealing with a, with a then priest who was made bishop within weeks of Francis becoming the alleged pontiff. Describing that. And he goes into with other saints, too. That's a problem. That is a gigantic, gigantic problem. Now, most commentators who are looking at this are focusing on chapters 7 to 9. You read any articles on this, they are focusing on chapters 7 to 9 of the book. And I'm just going to give you a brief overview here because that's bad, but it's something else is worse. Fernandez describes union with God as, again, akin to the apex of the marital act. He goes into a lot of detail on that. And then he goes into the act itself in a lot of detail. Remember, this is a celibate man giving the world the kind of details that only someone who hasn't taken such vows would be familiar with, or someone who spent a lot of time looking at evil, impure material on the internet. Given that it was 1998 when he wrote this, and that the online version of that industry was in its infancy, I kind of doubt that it's the online version. There really should be a look into him to see if he's actually kept his vows at this point. Now, that's not to say that he didn't look at physical materials since they were available for home consumption well into the late 1990s, but the overall tone and tenor of those chapters are written by someone who sounds experienced in such things. They're also blasphemous, as he quotes pagan theologians and their prayers of praising God involving the act itself in grotesque, graphic ways that would make the CEOs of late night HBO and Cinemax say no. All right. I mean, the kind of stuff that you find only on certain kinds of websites. He gives vivid descriptions of body parts and their uses. He even extols what Pope Pius XII called the private sin, saying it can be spiritual in nature. And most outrageously, in those chapters, he says the people of the James Martin crowd do not sin when they engage in their condemned activities. If they do so out of love, that they can and often do have spiritual experiences while engaging in those activities. Think about what he's saying there. Think about that in relation to Amoris Laetitia. Think about that in relation to Fiducia Supplicants. The, for those who actually have eyes to see, Fiducia Supplicants was not ambiguous. And it did not. It wrapped itself in Catholic Orthodoxy, but its intention was very clear. And that is what this book does to you. It, it makes it even more clear. It's worth noting, by the way, exorcists have said that uh, James Martin activities discussed even demons that they that demons flee the room once someone or more than one person who has been convinced to engage in activities start doing so so yes according to tuco those who do things that cause demons to flee the room in disgust are having a spiritual experience that close that brings them closer to god i'll let you work the logic of that out of that one for yourself but i want to focus here on chapter six 
Cardinal Fernandez, or then Father Fernandez, wrote a chapter in sordid detail describing a very, uh, we'll call it personal encounter, a 16-year-old young woman had with our blessed Lord. I'm not going to read the details for you because, again, I can't, and not because of the rules of this place, but because no one should actually publicly read the kinds of stuff you used to have to walk into a late night, a bookstore in the wrong part of town for. It's chapter six de details things that are beyond blasphemous. The encounter is described in those sort of late night HBO terms as we're calling them, except written in an attempt to present this blasphemy in a poetic sort of flowery way. Again, someone who is 16 is the protagonist here. He describes her encounter in ways only describable as comparing her spiritual encounter with the Lord to marital activities in sordid detail. Again, given that she is a modern girl in a modern world, the age of 16, what he describes would have any adult man doing such things, getting a visit from Chris Hansen and local authorities. But worse, he describes the scene and has Our Lady witnessing it and looking on with approval. Bringing a new and repulsive understanding of the concept of to Jesus through Mary. Again, why would Francis put such an evil man in the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith? We'll go there in, the, in a moment. This is why we have the Five First Saturdays devotion, because this is a multi-pronged attack on Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, not and on our Lord's Sacred Heart, and on the divinity and the person of our Blessed Lord. And the reason Francis put a man like that in charge is because Francis is finishing the work of Cardinal Martini. Tim Gordon has an excellent interview with Dr. Ed Mazza where, that he did very recently, where they went over Cardinal Martini, who he was, and how he was supposed to be the Pope before he himself passed away due to Parkinson's in 2012. Martini knew that he was not going to be the man to force changes onto the church, so he basically recruited Bergoglio in the run-up to 2005 in that conclave to finish his work. Check out their interview for more details on that. But Martini was a huge proponent of changing the morality of marital activities in the church, specifically changing the church's teaching on everything related to that. He wanted the James Martin sin to be made okay in light of new understandings of human dignity as espoused by Vatican II in the most hilariously inept and tone-deaf statement from that council. He wanted the use of artificial means of not being fruitful and multiplying to be treated the same way. The same with the, the act itself. He wanted the morality of all such activities left to the sphere of private conscience. That you decide whether something is right or wrong. This is a surrender of magisterial authority. If you decide things are okay, then it's okay. Martini wanted that and how Francis is making it happen in the church now. That is why he brought Fernandez in. That was his job. There is zero chance Francis did not know about that book when he made him a bishop weeks into his papacy. He knew. He was, after all, the most important bishop in Argentina. Obviously, the answer is yes, he knew. Bergoglio, again, was the most powerful of the Argentinian bishops. One of the first things he did as the alleged pope was to name Fernandez a bishop. It was one of his first acts. That was back in 2013. He knew precisely what he was doing. He knew Fernandez very, very well, which is why he had Fernandez write Ghost Write Amoris Laetitia. Fernandez's job is to help change the morality of the faith on those issues. We saw that with Fiducia Supplicants. We saw that with Amoris Laetitia. And we see it in the reaction to this story from not only the Pope Splainers, who say that we're bad people for bringing all this to light, but also in Fernandez's own response to it. 
case in point. This is, uh, we now have the official, we now have an official response from the, uh, from Fernandez himself here. So from Catholic News Agency, we get the, we had, we get, we get this story and he tells us the following in this story. Again, he's dismissing this with a laugh. It's really remarkable here. <sighs> Quote, I certainly would not write that book now, Fernandez said, who serves as the prefect for the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, told Crux, noting that he had written the book when he was younger, wrote it 25 years ago as a priest, so he was an adult. Long after that book, I wrote much more serious ones like The Healing Force of Mysticism and The Transforming Force of Mysticism, Fernandez told Crux. Cardinal noted that he canceled the impurely themed book shortly after its publication and, quote, never allowed it to be reprinted. He added that he wrote it for young couples who wanted to better understand the spiritual meaning of their relationships, but then realized it could be, quote, misinterpreted. That's why I don't think it's a good thing to spread it now, Fernandez says. In fact, I have not authorized it, and it is contrary to my will, end quote. In other words, making people aware of what he's done is contrary to his will. He's not happy about this. <sighs> the article then goes on to describe the contents of the book in more graphic details than I simply want to do because I don't want to have to, again, to go to confession for talking about this story. But the presentation of it in this article is the, is the best way for you to understand what's going on. However, this comes with a very, very important caveat here. And the, the important caveat is presented by Father Dave Nix here. He put this on Twitter. No, I'm never going to call it X. He says, it's telling that Catholic news agency just linked John Paul II's theology of the body to Cardinal Fernandez's, quote, the relationship between human relations of the kind and, and intimacy with God has long been explored in the Catholic Church, including in works such as John Paul II's theology of the body catechesis as if the 1980s were long ago in the Catholic Church. No Catholic news agency, no Catholic ever talked like this before Vatican II, except that one Spanish nun in the 16th century who was found to be possessed. End quote. Yeah, there's, a, there's an account of a nun in the 16th century who spoke in these kind of details. And exorcists were had to be called in to help her out. So the Catholic news agency linked to this to John Paul II. That has been a consistent theme we've seen from the Pope's planners. Do not take them at their word. And I say that as someone who is not a fan of theology of the body. I actually think theology of the body was probably a really bad idea. But I'll have all this stuff again linked at returntotradition.org in the notes today. Um, as for people have asked how to like get the updates, there are a number of ways to do it. There should be an email sign-up thing there because there's like 200-something people who are. But also, if you look right to the right of your browser like the actual where you type in the web address, you'll see those three lines that look like a uh, like a Wi-Fi Bluetooth signal. That's your RSS feed, and you can you can get updates to any website through that. So you should use that option. But the response from the Pope's planners has been illuminating, to say the least. They have engaged in blasphemy by besmirching the saints. I saw one rather well-known Pope's planner say that it was either St. John of the Cross or St. John Chrysostom that, who wrote something similar which is not true. I saw another saying that St. Therese wrote something similar, which is really not true. I saw others saying John Paul II wrote similar things. And again, the difference between theology of the body and what Fernandez is doing is that John Paul II was at least trying to root his teachings in the Catholic faith and not bringing in 
Eastern mysticism or the ideas of the followers of Satan into all of this, like Fernandez has. Again, this has been noted by many observers that the claims Fernandez is making is very, very similar to what the claims the followers of Satan, self-described followers of Satan have said about the act in question, about how it brings divine revelation and such. It's very similar. And one wonders where he got that idea from. I don't endorse theology of the body. I, I don't. I'm one of those traditional Catholics who, no, <laughs> I can't endorse theology of the body. But th what Fernandez is doing here and what John Paul II were doing are not the same. Now that having been said, my favorite response to this came from a Pope Splinter who has become kind of a, frankly, an online joke, who last night apparently told the world that those of us pointing out what was going on are bad people for bringing this to light. How dare we bring this to light? How we, dare we dig up past writings of Cardinal Fernandez, who said they're worse than, than, uh, than what he wrote in his book of poetry? And then how, and a show, how dare we show the world what an evil man Francis has put in charge of protecting the Catholic faith and morality? Yes, how very dare we bring evil to light so that people know not to fall into the traps of evil. That has been said with a straight face by people. Essentially, they didn't call him evil, obviously. But that has been said with a straight face by people who should know better. One wonders what their limit is. The other response was one of pure delusion. No, no, no. And I have to say this. No, Francis is not going to demand that Fernandez resign. I would love to be wrong about that. And if I am wrong, I will come here and be very happy that I was wrong and tell you so. But he's not going to demand for Fernandez resign. Francis is not going to resign from this either. That's just not going to happen. Again, I'd love to be wrong about that, but it's not going to happen. He's not going to resign, nor is Francis. Not over this and not anytime soon. Fernandez was brought in with Francis fully knowing about this stuff. He has a track record of keeping men like this on a leash. Remember Rupnik? Remember Zanketa? Remember how he gleefully employed McCarrick until McCarrick's evil was brought to light and then how he tried to blame Vigano, Benedict, and John Paul II for McCarrick instead of taking any responsibility himself for his failure. Francis knows what, who these men all are. He keeps them very, very close, and he dismisses the holy men or the men who at least don't have this kind of evil associated with them from the Roman Curia. He kicks them out of the Curia and brings suspect men in all the time to replace them. Before Fernandez, we were told it was going to be a, a cardinal named Vilmer who was going to be in, who was apparently worse than Fernandez. We can believe that. So no, Fernandez is there until Francis' successor comes in. And if that successor is the second worm-ridden pope that Father Hess told the world about in his analysis of the apparitions of Our Lady of La Salette, then Fernandez will be in Rome for quite some time. He has a job to do, after all, to finish the vision of Cardinal Martini on these matters. And that job is at the core to get Catholics to embrace, to embrace the world's vision of impurity and how impurity is not impure at all. That is why he's there. So I'm going to check now the live chat because I have not been able to check it here since we started. Uh, Radisla, I can't read what you're saying, <laughs> uh, but Welcome. <laughs> Uh, Tom says, seems prophecy is playing out. Yes. Um, Just a Catholic dad says this is an insult to divine, to divide the very concept of our divine union by comparing it to activities suitable to the married state. Yeah. I'm, this is, 
Hannah asked, did he imply in the book that he's actually a follower of James, uh, a member of the James Martin crowd? No, I don't think he did that, but he did say that in the book that those who engage in such of those activities can get closer to God through those activities and get some sort of divine inspiration, have a spiritual experience. Pretty bad stuff to me. Others have suspected he is part of the James Martin group. I don't know. I haven't seen evidence one way or the other, but he does. It is a little odd that the first major document that he pens, other than some dubia, once he's in office, was to try to make that more normal in the church. Allison Fernando. I'm not sure. Oh, do you mean Fernandez? Um, with this, the one upside is I would be surprised if he had a chance at the next conclave unless steps are taken to make sure the conclave turns out the way Francis wants it to, which I would not put past them. And I fully expect that there will be a document on the next conclave this year from Rome. And I expect it sooner rather than later. <sighs> Colleen says, if they both don't resign, how do you defend the faith? We've lost all credibility with Protestants and other denominations. I'm not that concerned about, about the credibility in the eyes of, people who are schismatic and are themselves holding heretical things. They deny anyone who denies the act who actually denies the real presence in the Eucharist and then denies our lady's role in salvation history. I'm not that concerned about their opinions, honestly, other than it makes it harder for the, to convince them to come home to Rome. But we, we've been there for a long time already. And Mary Woolley says, heard the Pope's planner who condemned all who are bringing this evil to light. Yeah, no. When has Satan admitted his lies? I agree, Tony. They're not going to do this. Why is Peter Kraft, a layman, more careful about this topic than a cardinal of the church? How long before Maciel is resuscitated as a man ahead of his time? I, I think Maciel is a bridge too far even for them. There's no way they could try to do that. Uh, but Peter Kraft has the faith, and many of these prelates don't. That's why. Ina reminds us of Pope Francis and has been friends with Fernandez since forever, so they are on the same team. Absolutely. I, I we're, We'll have Fernandez at least until a new pope steps out onto the Logia later this year, next year, or the year after. Sometime. We will have him there for that long. And his term of office at the CDF is, I think, for five years. And he just started it this last of September officially. So we will have him there until fall of 2028. Um, so Dr. Obvious, is this is a reference to something Vigano said. Vigano wants a Swiss guard to basically remove Francis and uh, Fernandez. They're not going to. There's no way. There's no way the Swiss guard are going to do that. Uh, Tina, I can't ignore this because there are people who are going to fall into this stuff. The reason we can't ignore it is because there are people who will see everything coming from Rome and see it as a permission slip to engage in the sins that they struggle with, that, that send them to the confessional. Souls are at stake. This is also why I tell people, don't unplug during Advent and Lent. You know, it, I understand the desire to unplug from fun things. Totally understand that. But things are picking up and they there are souls are on the line. So this is why ignoring all this, I can't, I don't advocate people reading this stuff. I will make the links available. The Catholic News Agency one is probably the best of them, even with the big caveat that I had to counter it with, with uh, Father Dave Nix's statement. But um, 
those the actual sources I I'm very suggest you very carefully discern if you're going to read them or not. Do I think of his uh Francis is I that's the one thing I agree with Francis that that practice should be ended entirely gone. Francis is good on some things. At least he says good things about some things. Whether he actually means it or not, I don't know, because he contradicts himself so much that anything he says cannot be taken at face value. But yeah, Lynn says, yes, we must continue to bring light to this evil so that more people will become aware. Absolutely. That's that's everything we have to do here is to make sure people don't fall into the trap. David Wilson says he loves the idea of the Swiss Guard escorting Francis off the premises. I can't imagine them doing it. It's an interesting idea, but I can't imagine them doing it. All right. Colleen says, Malachi Martin was right all those decades ago when I first heard him say that such behavior was promoted in the 60s in the seminaries. Now they're all 80. Yeah, he was there. He was there. He knew. He tried to warn us. I spoke with some. I spoke with uh, somebody recently who knew Malachi Martin who said that it, all this makes Malachi Martin look like a prophet. All right. If there are any further questions... Yeah, traditionalist Catholic says this is considering that this was written by the current doctrine chief. Right. He didn't repudiate. He just said he wouldn't really write such a thing today. And then he tried to keep it later. He tried to keep it from getting widely published and spread around. I mean, that's fine. But his his repudiation was not much of a repudiation. It was a dismissal of the issue itself. All right. How do we discuss the subject of feeling being judgmental? I'm not worried about being judgmental. Our Lord told us that, to, uh, that we will be judged by the same measure we judge other things. This is sin. We're talking about sin and people trying to, to make sin normal. That's fine to be judgmental about. Um, remember, Benedict and others have said that we are to treat people, the people who, are, who carry the cross of the sin in question with respect as they are created in the image and likeness of God. And that's fine. But we're to call them to conversion. And that's actually the way you respect them the most is to call them to conversion and penance. And it's not just that sin. If there are anybody out there who is identifying at a core level with a sin of any kind, that the most loving thing you can do is to can, is to work on them to get them to repudiate the sins that they have embraced and to repent and come back to God. Musden, member of the channel, says, when Archbishop Lefebvre had seminarians coming to him in the 70s saying they could not find an Orthodox seminary anywhere, now we kind of have an idea how things really were. Right. Lefebvre's, the entire, one of the entire reasons that Lefebvre started the SSPX is because he had seminarians wanting the Catholic faith who could not find a seminary teaching the Catholic faith in the 1960s and 70s. That should tell you something. All right. Uh, if there are no final thoughts in the chat, I will leave it at this. Um, Tim Gordon did, I know Tim Gordon did mention that we need to be careful with how we talk about this stuff, that the care we give on the subject is essential, that we have to speak about this and do so very carefully. He is absolutely right. I will be checking out what he had to say here not long after I get off the stream here and um, what, what some others have said. The only the only commentary I've seen on this so far was uh, John Henry Weston's. The only one I watched yesterday. But to me, the big takeaway isn't chapter seven, eight, nine, which are pretty bad, but it's chapter six where he turns our Lord into and our Lady. He just 
does something inappropriate to our Lord and our lady in that book. It is, I'm surprised fewer people that, that more people aren't talking about it. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in today. And as always pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.